Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Pure Football Podcast, the podcast that brings you the stories, tactics, stats and rumours about football in Scotland and beyond, by fans and for fans. And as ever, I'm joined by my co-host, Owen. Owen, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well, Gavin. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, doing really good. How's your uh, Storm Kira been? Uh, Storm Kira has been good to me in that I got <laughs> sent home from work today, uh, paid, you know, at 11 o'clock in the morning or something, which was nice, uh, but maybe not so good for other people in my life. Uh, my wife's currently kind of trapped on a plane on the runway, um, sitting waiting to see if the the wings will be uh, de-iced. While um, as a treat, the airline company asks people if they want to go up and take a selfie with the captain, um, <laughs> <laughs> which she's declined. So yeah, uh, you know, Kira gives, Kira takes. You know, but <laughs> I'm fairly happy. It's been a nice day for me. Do you think that's that's uh, something Scottish football teams should do? Like, if you go to a game of football and like your team plays shit, you get a selfie with the captain. <laughs> Stuck in a dugout with Derek McInnes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's it's obviously it played havoc, stung Kira with a number of games across the country. However, uh, it was Scottish Cup weekend, and every game was able to go ahead, even through some pretty treacherous conditions, especially the. The Hearts Falkirk game looked some like uh, some pretty tough running for those players, but um, what we said we'd do tonight is we'd have just a quick roundup of the the games that happened over the weekend, have a look at the draw for the next round, and then we're going to focus in a bit on St Mirren and all the things that Jim Goodwin are doing. And yeah, just to get us started, then so let's go straight over to uh, Clyde, where Celtic were comfortable winners in the end against Clyde. But Owen, do you want to just talk me through what you've seen in this game, just in in short? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I watched this game and I think I was kind of quite um, intrigued to watch it because of um, Celtic's lineup. I guess was the kind of main thing. So, for for instance, um, there there were a couple of people making the bench that I thought it might be quite good to be able to see. So, Ismail Asoro made the bench. Uh, Marion Schreds, um came out of hiding and made the bench as well. Um, it turned out that you know Soro didn't go on at all, and and Shved only did the minimal amount of minutes at the end. But in addition, also, the, the selection from Celtic was quite interesting for the first 11. Uh, they went away from the 3-5-2 that uh, Lennon has kind of used recently, and it was more of a, a 4-2-3-1, basically, um, with El Yanoussi back in his left wing, Christie playing in a kind of a central attacking midfielder role, and um, Patrick Clamalla getting a start um, for Celtic up front. So that was all pretty good to um, be able to take in. I was also keen to see how Clyde um, would get on, uh, a team that we've watched a couple of times as part of Pure Football Podcast. Mm-hmm. And I think we both kind of felt that if Goodwillie isn't able to kind of get in the game and influence things, then it can be quite tough for Clyde. And and I guess that's really how it was um, here. You know, Celtic really kind of dominated things. Um, didn't make many kind of chances of note early on um, in my view um, but they managed to get the breakthrough uh, with Oliver Neacham scoring on his birthday um, after about uh, 16 minutes or so which was you know obviously good for him and then beyond that again I felt that Celtic kind of had quite a lot of shots quite a lot of the ball um, but really didn't make any kind of key openings um, I think that um uh, Moritz Bauer uh, right back. He doesn't offer the same sort of attacking threat for them that maybe you know Jeremy Fringpong or, or even Abdel Hamid would offer from right back. Um, I think that El Yunusi maybe couldn't really influence the game as much as I maybe expected him to, and um, Klamala maybe didn't get. Um, you know he, he had one very good chance in the game. 
um, where he was put through after pretty nice ball up the field by Meacham and then a nice through ball by Forrest, but he, he couldn't take the chance. Beyond that, he didn't get many other opportunities. Um, and then Celtic kind of went 2-0 ahead, though, um, just before half-time with a kind of um, tap-in scramble from a corner for Scott Brown. And I, I think that kind of really just kind of killed the game at that point with it being half-time at 2-0, which was a bit of a shame. Um, at that point, you know, things kind of just shut down a wee bit for Clyde, I felt. And um, yeah, beyond that, there, there wasn't a great deal of note really. Bio scored a, a kind of you know further goal off the bench, uh, right right near the end. Um, but in, in truth, this wasn't much to this game. I don't think either side particularly impressed or did anything that was that interesting. Um, I guess yeah. Celtic won't care. You know, they've got through. That's all that matters. Kept a clean sheet, got three goals, did quite a fair bit of rotation. You know, Cal McGregor sat out a game for the first time in uh, five years. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they'll be happy that, you know, Bolongoli came back in, El Unice came back in, Clamala got some minutes under his belt and so on. But, yeah, not, not, not much to it for me, really, in this match. Um, yeah. and, and I guess, you know, the, the only kind of thing, as I said, that matters for Celtic is they're through. Um, they go to St Johnston next. It'll be interesting to see what the ticket allocation is. But, um, yeah, beyond that, not much else to take from this match for me. Yeah, I guess it'll be interesting to see what happens with uh, Celtic um, in the next round. Uh, one quick question I wanted to put to you on. You summed up the sure. game pretty well, but um, Schved uh, came on for six minutes. So yeah. my question to you is, Schved dead or alive? Or, well, in this case, Schved or alive? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, he's, he, I mean, he's alive. You know, um, I think that it's... It's tough, right? I mean, they've got a lot of options in there. You know, El Yunusi was obviously going to get back in. I, I I don't really know what to make of it, really. I think, you know, if if somebody is on the fringes um, and is there enough and clearly fit enough to play some minutes, why not give them a bit more? Um, particularly, you know, once it's kind of 2 out at halftime. I, I don't really understand that. It's not really, you know, what are you supposed to do in six minutes, um, really? Um, but... Yeah, I mean, he's there. Um, it's a, it's there's a lot of matches left in the season, so you know I would imagine he'll get a couple more opportunities. You know, who knows what can happen with injuries and form and so on. Um, so he should take this as a a promising thing, I would say. You know that he's he's not fully out of the picture. Sure, six minutes against Clyde at the end of a game isn't necessarily what you want to be able to state your claim, but it shows that you're still around. You know, you're maybe going to get another chance. Okay, I like your optimism. Um, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens in that one sure, sure. so let's move on to what was a monumental occasion for BSC Glasgow as they took on Hibs and which was easily the biggest game in the club's history did you manage to catch this game Owen? yeah I saw this game what about you? yes yeah, I've seen about 65 minutes of it but um, what I wanted to do is just keep this quite, quite quick going through the games as we've got quite a lot to get through but so just talk me through some of the key moments for you in this game that you've seen and, and anything that you, you took away from it Sure. Um, well, it was windy, I guess. That's the first <laughs> thing to take away from this, um, which made it quite tough, particularly for BSC in the first half, um, given the way the direction their wind was. When they went to go forward, um, the ball was just going out of play all the time for them, which was unfortunate. Um, I thought they started quite well. Um, they were closing down the wings quite well and, and trying to stay compact at the back, um, sort of in a kind of mid-block. Um, but they were 
Omionga, uh, I, I guess we should say first of all that Hibs selected a sort of four four two with the pure football favourites of Greg Doherty and Stefan Omionga as the central midfielders. Um, and Omionga was getting on the ball a lot. He was playing, you know, quite quite deep in midfield, coming and taking off the centre backs and stuff. Um, and, and I felt that. BSE were maybe allowing him to do that a little bit too much. I mean, he's obviously at a level compared to their players that meant that he can kind of evade pressing quite well. But it seemed to me a little bit inevitable that at some point the way that they were able to kind of switch the ball from one side and then back to him and then to the other side was maybe going to bear fruit. Um, I also felt that um, somebody who's perhaps not a pure football favourite, Christian Deutsch, um, did really well in terms of link-up play. Um, so there was quite a few times when maybe the ball would be played by Omionga or centre-back to Deutsch on the deck and he was flicking around the corners for the full-backs and the wingers and that looked quite dangerous to me. Um, and yeah, and as, as much as, as I said there that BSC Glasgow kind of started brightly and were doing good things, um, it, it was tough for them um, because the thing, as I mentioned, and and they weren't, you know, kind of able to, um, in effect, stop uh, Hibs from making, you know, the breakthrough fa- fairly early. Um, so I think McNulty scored after just kind of ten minutes, and you know, of course, as as I guess everybody will know, went on to notch a hat trick in this game. Um, as well as that, I guess um, Greg Doherty got a goal near the end, and I think he set up at least one of McNulty's goals. Yeah, so that yeah. was good to see too. Um, BSC did really well to get a goal. Uh, you know, I think Hibs will be disappointed with themselves for letting away a set piece goal in that that way. And I felt at times things were a little bit shaky defensively for Hibs. You know, they, yeah. they didn't have it all their own way. Um, kind of in the full back areas and stuff, they were uh, in trouble. I, I think that's maybe. You know, they played a four four two. It's quite a you know sort of risky formation to play. I, I guess you know that that partly contributed to some of the opportunities for BSC and BSC obviously should be very proud of themselves. They've done brilliantly. I mean, that's the fifth round of the Scottish Cup. That's incredible. Um, you know, um, but yeah, overall it, it was fairly routine for Hibs, I guess. You know, yeah, it was yeah, much the same. I guess I, I just one quick note I had was that, that there's still some real defensive issues I feel for Hibs and and maybe against a better opponent they could have been punished. Mm. Um I, th- I especially think that Lewis Stevenson is there to be got at on the left side. Um, Absolutely. Yep. I think I think he looks like a major weak link right now. Um, I know Hibs fans are extremely loyal to people like him who have been there, you know, all his career. But I think he's his time's coming to an end for me. Um, what about so your the quick hot take question I have for you? Uh, seen loads of this flying about on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Was Mark McNulty back in the Scotland squad? Well, look, you know, we, we can't turn anybody down given the kind of paucity of options that we have up front, but you certainly shouldn't be running to um, put somebody in your starting lineup based on uh, a couple of, well, three goals against, you know, a team that's five divisions or whatever it is below you. Um, so I'd urge a little bit of caution there. Um, let's see how he gets on in the league um, through the next, you know, a few weeks, month, and then we can see there's there's a bunch of people. If we're looking at centre forwards for Scotland, that would be ahead of them, in my view. You know, Griffiths, McBurney, Naismith, um, Shankland, all would be ahead of him. But I'm not counting them out. Um, just not. You know, this isn't uh, enough for me yet. Okay, cool. So let's move on to New Douglas Park, where Hamilton faced uh, Rangers, and it was a four-one victory for Rangers in the end. Um, Goals from Scott Arfield, Joe Aribo and Alfredo Morales and uh, Lewis Smith 
for Hamilton. Um, did you manage to catch the highlights of seeing this game on? Yeah, I saw bits of the highlights. What about yourself? Did you watch this yeah. one? Or? Yeah, I managed to, to see this game and um, some of the usual things happened for Rangers uh, in the first 45 minutes. Um, maybe struggled to get the ball forward, struggled to... Um, I felt like when they did, maybe um, it, it seemed a wee bit more of a, I don't know if adventurous is the right setup, but less of the flat midfield. You know, they've got Hadji in now, maybe more of a, a 4-2-3-1 type thing. But I, I felt that as much as the fullbacks are often a plus point for Rangers, in, in this game, maybe initially Tavernier didn't seem to be able to get that kind of final ball very well. And, yeah. and I think, on the other hand, um, Barisic maybe defensively wasn't as strong as we've been seeing him be recently. Yeah, it was um, definitely a, a shaky game for, for Barisic and eventually came off with an injury, which I guess Rangers will be hoping isn't anything too serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, I guess that the midfield was a bit more attacking. There was definitely some issues again with Glenn Kamara's performance. Um, some of his passing was, was really off again. Um, he just looks a little bit bereft of confidence just now. Um, wanted to give a quick shout out to a guy Luke Southwood who I think we've both been fairly impressed since he he came in um, Rangers managed 10 shots on target in this game Southwood saved the penalty um, mm-hmm. was unlucky that the rebound fell to Arfield um, but he he done pretty well uh, Rangers Hadji looks like he's someone that will fans will love but also be infuriated by at times I think sometimes he's got a a lot, maybe spends a little bit too much time on the ball, but one one sort of movement that I like that he does do is when the ball comes in from uh, Barisic or Kent's side, uh, Hadji looks to make this um, run from the back post to the sort of penalty box. He'd done it against uh, Hibs midweek as well, so he looks to try and get ahead of his marker and make a sort of late run onto the ball, which is, you know, there's just a couple of times that he's done that and it looks like a, a repeatable movement, so uh, look out for that in the future. Um, I guess the key thing for Rangers, again, not a classic performance, but they're through to the next round, similar to Celtic. And uh, yeah, I guess the, the only other thing I wanted to quickly get your take on, Owen, uh, was do Rangers have an issue with penalties? In terms of taking them or in terms yeah, of the yeah. fact that they should have had one against them for Goldson's uh, yeah. Superman handball type thing? <laughs> yeah. Um, I- well... Yes, I think they do in terms of um, just being consistent and, and maybe, you know, the. In, I mean, in terms of who's taking them, I, I don't really understand. I mean, I, I get that, you know, when people miss penalties or whatever, um, there can be moves for them to be removed from taking them. But I think you just need to assess who's actually good at them. And then you need to basically accept that you can't score all of them. Um, I mean, statistically, you score roughly three quarters of penalties. That's that's just it. Um, you know, some people are going to get a little bit more. Some people are going to get a little bit less. But Tavernier is very clearly an exceptional striker of the ball. Um, I don't really know why, you know, they, they moved away from him. Um, and um, I, I don't know if I would say that Arfield would be the, the next person I would turn to necessarily. He's clearly a good striker of the ball, but... Um, I don't know. Is is he a scorer in that way? Um, so I, I don't know if I would say there's a, an issue, but um, I would give it back to Tavernier. Yeah, so interesting. Uh, I guess they also have Hadji in contention now as well. Looks like he took penalties for Genk. Um, and apparently take them with both feet. I mean, not at the same time, either foot. <laughs> <laughs> both feet, you're not going to... Well, I mean, maybe it's unique. <laughs> Um, but hey, let, let's just give, I guess, credit to Southwood again for 
kind of stopping the one and, and unfortunate for him that he couldn't keep out the uh, the follow up. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I can have say stick with somebody. Don't do a Man City where you're eventually thinking about Ederson taking him and, and all sorts. Um, you know, pick your guy and trust in him, and, and it'll pay off. I think. Yep. Okay. I guess I I agree with that. I think that you know if you were to look at Tavernier's record overall, his his percentage is probably in a, a positive range. So. So yeah, uh, okay, let's move on to which definitely wasn't a classic between Aberdeen and Kilmarnock and uh, there's not a whole lot to say from this. There's there's two quick points I want to call out. Um, so Aberdeen haven't scored and from open play since the 26th of December. Oh, and what do you think the issues with that is or what do you think is the, the cause? Uh, right, well that's a big question. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I think that Aberdeen have um, we've talked about this before and I, I think that one of the ways that you can try and get open play chances is through having fullbacks um, that can go both ways and, and kind of stretch things and open things. And again, um, in this match at the weekend against Kilmarnock, Aberdeen had the fullbacks of Shea Logan on one side um, and Constein on the other side um, as starters. And, you know, Constein's not really a fullback for me and he's pretty old now. Um, Logan has clearly declined and is um, just turned 32, so pretty old as well, particularly for a fullback, in my view. Um, and then I, I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that the attacking midfielders are necessarily the quality that it should be. Um, so, you know, at the weekend, for instance, they started uh, Niall McGinn, who, you know, I appreciate has been a very good player and, you know, is an excellent footballer, but he's going to be 33 in the summer. Um, and they started Matty Kennedy, who is a fine player and they've done very well to get him in on a, you know, a, a, a cheap deal. Um, but for me, for a club like Aberdeen, I would say he's a depth option. I wouldn't necessarily say that he's the starter that's going to be your kind of one of your main creative outlets. Um, and then beyond that, yeah, Sam Cosgrove. I mean, I, I've um, I've made it clear um, on the podcast for well, this is a year that we've been doing this for now um, that I don't particularly rate him. Um, I, I think that. He has obviously got loads of goals and, and fair play to him for that. But, you know, we've spoken before about the types of those goals and whether some of them were repeatable and how much he can actually contribute in terms of um, ways that you might want a forward to in terms of, you know, getting chances for other people, opening up the play and stuff. So, yeah, lo- lo- lots and lots of reasons. But for me, you know, probably the fullbacks and a kind of lack of actual real creativity in the team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess much the same. I I, I like uh, what I've seen of Ryan Hedges, but I'm surprised he just doesn't play more. Also, Conor McLennan looked really promising, but he seems to have fallen off a cliff in terms of um, his selection. I know he was injured for a while, but struggling to get back in, considering the lack, thought, uh, sorry, the lack of quality that Aberdeen are creating right now. And again, I think you're absolutely spot on with your assessments of the, the full-back area. And the final question I had for you in this game was, is, or do you think, you sort of touched on it there, but do you think Sam Cosgrove's strengths, so uh, aerial duels, is becoming an issue for Aberdeen in terms of how they approach games? Well, you think they're playing to fit him rather than them having a style that kind of would fit the team as a whole? Is that yes. what you mean? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but he is, you know, he's he's one of their key players, so I can understand why they would do things perhaps to suit how he is. Um I don't know if it's necessarily just him. I mean, that might just be how uh, McInnes wants to play. Keep in mind, he brought in Curtis Main 
as his kind of second striker. Um, you know, obviously not not anymore. Well, I mean, he's still there and, and hasn't played a great deal, but that, that says to me that, you know, that's the style they want to play, regardless of whether Cosgrove's there. Um, they have done some things to rejig the mid- midfield a wee bit and, you know, kind of brought in some other players. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that it's just because of Cosgrove that they're playing that way. I think maybe that in, in some ways McInnes has decided this is the style he wants. Yep, and it's the style that nobody else wants. Um, but we'll leave it at that. So moving on to uh, one of McInnes's former teams, St Johnston, they beat Air 2-1 um, in a game where um, there was quite a lot of hype about this in terms of what Air might be able to do against St Johnston. Uh, did you manage to catch the, the highlights or any of this game at all, Owen? Yeah, I saw a bit of this and um, it, it was quite a dominant um, performance for St. Johnston, I felt, even though the scoreline's quite tight. Um, I, I think and, and the dominance was really founded by your head sending off, um, which was just after, I don't know, just under half an hour. So Air took the lead um, through Drennan, and that was really, really early on, like four minutes in. Um, but then Muirhead, who I, I don't know if he had a, a bet on um, against his own team in some <laughs> way, but an own goal after 18 minutes and then a sending off six, seven minutes later. Um, uh, yeah, pretty disastrous. Um, and then, you know, uh, St. John's took the lead. And, and for me, they kind of saw things out pretty well from then. I think... Um, Air had you know just a handful of shots in all game, maybe four shots, and um, St Johnston were quite comfortable for me. Um, I, I think in this game we got to see uh, Jamie McCart um, partner Jason Kerr uh, at centre back, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. Um, so there's been some games recently where St Johnston have gone with uh, three centre backs at the back, but you know th- that's an interesting pairing for me. Um, Kerr obviously is maybe not been quite on the level this season he was last season when you know things were looking really up for him but maybe with a consistent partner and with somebody that, that we both kind of rate quite well Jamie McCart mm-hmm. playing alongside him that might be a bit of a turnaround um and I think maybe with Booth being at left back um that might be a better full back there for mm-hmm. St Johnston still got Ralston at right back but hey um you know beggars <laughs> can't be choosers I guess um so yeah I, I think this was a well-deserved victory for St Johnston, despite the fact that the scoreline obviously seems tight, um, and maybe that means that there's still kind of questions over the the goal scoring at the front end. Although I should say, of course, that that Callum Hendry did get a goal, so well, well done to him. Yeah, it was a, I was actually for his goal. He he looks like someone that can have a positive influence for St Johnston, but I actually felt doing should have done better for the goal. He just looked a bit sluggish to react. Uh, I felt to the ball coming in, and he was. You know, it wasn't exactly like it was a a, a drilled ball in, you know, coming in with, with loads of pace. I, f- I felt that maybe doing could have done a bit better, but well done to Callum Hendry for, for scoring. And again, St. Joseph through to the next round. And I guess there's already been loads of conversations about, you know, ticket allocation, all this sort of thing, what Johnston should do. So looking forward to hearing the fallout of what that is, regardless <laughs> of what the decision is. Um, yeah, so I guess we'll quickly keep things rolling. So Inverness were uh, victors against Livingston, which was a bit of a shock. Um, Inverness beat Livingston 1-0, uh, and it was a goal from Sean Welsh from a free kick, um, where Livingston keeper looked a little bit suspect again for me, felt like it's it should have been saved. Um, just quickly on the St. Johnston thing as well, 
Rooney, who signed a pre-contract with uh, St Johnston from Inverness, he uh, he looked quite good in the, in the highlights from this game. It looked like he wants to get forward, um, not overly pacey, but quite quite direct in his movement, which I quite liked. Um, and I feel like that will that will help St Johnston, and obviously he'll also have a pre-existing um, knowledge of how Jamie McCart plays as well, which should should be beneficial to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little bit surprised with this result. I didn't see this, you know, uh, transpiring. I thought Livingston would have had enough to get through. Um, but credit to Inverness and John Robertson, who continues yep. to do a, a really good job uh, in terms of developing players and you know keeping Inverness challenging, considering the the financial constraints that are at that club. Do you think that considering the, you know the exit of players, you know, like McCart yeah. as well, it's really really impressive. I think Inverness should be feeling quite conf- well positive at least going into the next round against Hibs. It's really impressive that they've made it to the, the quarterfinals. Good stuff. And it wasn't like this was a second string team throughout most of it for Livingston. You know, they, they had um you know serious team out. And um, what were you gonna say there though? Yeah I was just gonna say do you, so sort of two questions. Um obviously I can't say that I've seen a huge amount of how Inverness play or whatever but um, John Robertson is someone who I think continually does a good job in identifying players and developing players. So maybe you know, there's the next time that there's something available in the Premiership, a team should look to to him to maybe get the me- uh, the most out of um, you know maybe lesser quality players or a or a disgruntled squad. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, definitely. He would if he was up for it, he'd more than merit um, you know a job up up in the Premier League. Yep. Yep. So and I guess the only other thing I wanted to to put to you on. Do you think that Livingston, and this is a bit of a hot take, but um, I was looking at their squad and, and I just felt like maybe they should have been a little bit more active in the January window, if they could mm-hmm. have, that is. Um, I just wonder, they've played like a lot of the same players um, throughout the full season. There's not really a relief striker for Lyndon Dykes. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think that we might see a drop-off in them and their quality in the last sort of section of the season? That's possible. I guess maybe the idea would be that you know they're going to be fine. They're not going to get relegated. Um, I don't think, and therefore, you know, why why bring in you know lots of moving parts that you don't necessarily know if you need, or you know, um, when maybe you can assess things properly and bring in people in the summer, probably for free. You know, people when they're out of contract and stuff. Um, there, there might not be you know players that they can bring on permanently in January, and and they might not have wanted. Um, you know, to do anything else, but I get what you're saying. Like, yeah, I was kind of looking at it from the positive angle that they were playing a a full strength team in the cup game, um, and obviously it would have been brilliant for them to get through. So no wonder they did. But yeah, it's a fair point that the squad is fairly thin. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They well, got Del- they got Dolly Menga back, so they do have backup for Dykes now. Um, but you know, I, I take your point. You know that overall, it's a bit of a thin squad. Yep. So we've got just two more games to quickly rattle through and then we've got Hearts who uh, again I mentioned at the start of the, uh, the programme played in pretty horrific conditions against Falkirk and uh, I don't think by any means this will be a performance that uh, Daniel Stendel will be overly happy with um, although Hearts are through. Uh, Sean Clare with a penalty. He looks like he's had a bit of a a resurgence uh, under Daniel Stendel. Just looks like a, a sort of different player I feel like since he's been um put into the sort of right back zone. I know that uh Levine sort of started that with him, but I think the the attacking side of how Stendel plays is is getting more out of his game. Would you say you've seen that on since he 
he came in. I'm kind of cautious about this one. Um, I know that he's had a lot of praise recently from Hearts fans, and he, he's scored a lot of goals, so good on him for that. But I think that sometimes, you know, we, we've seen it before, you can maybe be praised because of goals, um, and other things can maybe be forgotten about, particularly mm-hmm. you know, for somebody that takes penalties, as he has been doing, when you know, you've know you not necessarily been involved in the creation of the goal. So, yes, um, I think he's done well in most games I've worked, uh, I've watched, sorry, um, positive, uh, has you know, physical attributes that means that he can be an on-the-ball fullback and stuff. What I would say, and uh, I can't remember what match it was, um, but there was a, a Hearts game recently that I was watching. Um, I think it must have been the St Johnston one, the end of the three each, and the amount of space uh, between him and Halkett in that kind of right-sided channel behind the fullback was ridiculous. Um, a lot of times he was really, really exploited. Um, so I think I just want to temper the praise that he obviously deserves for getting goals. And the goal against St Johnston, for instance, you know, an equaliser was a um, vital goal and brilliantly taken, so definitely deserves credit. But I'm not certain that he's uh, an answer at right-back. Um, it might be interesting to see if you know Smith slots back in there and maybe Claire could play one ahead of him. Uh, that that might be more effective. Um, yeah, I guess your statement sort of has um, some some fair point. I guess because Falkirk did hit the woodwork three times in this game, um, and from the the highlights, it looked like Falkirk were the better team overall. Um, probably should have scored an equaliser late on, um, but yeah, it's a. Uh, I guess it is. Maybe, maybe I'm falling into the the Liam Donnelly of Motherwell. Um, maybe that's what Claire is to to Hearts. Um, mm. Maybe I'm just seeing the good side of it when actually there's there's more issues. Um, so yeah, uh, and to finish up, <coughs> our team in focus for today: St Mirren versus Motherwell. Oh, and talk me through what you've seen in this game. Yeah, um, so St Mirren versus Motherwell in the the cup match. Th- this was an interesting one to me. I mean, both. Teams that I quite like watching. Um, Motherwell set up in their kind of fairly usual 4-3-3. And, and for St Mirren, to me at least, it looked like a kind of 4-4-2. Um, and the, the start of the match, in, in terms of the highlights, um, there was a really, really good example of Sam Foley closing, um, I think it was Donnelly, down really, really well. Very aggressive in midfield. Uh, blocked a kind of attempted clearance and then followed them up really um, closely and aggressively in the kind of deep left-back zone and managed to kind of win the ball back and, and knock it forward and then really nice movement from Foley to then kind of get into the box and on the end of a pass and cut it back for uh, Ilke Dermis who did really well, I thought, to keep a kind of shot when he was on the move down low but he hit the post that came out. Um, so that was an interesting start. I think that showed... Um, a risk for Motherwell in terms of you know how Donnelly can sometimes be in that area, and also very impressive um, sort of pressing and chance creation from it for St Mirren. That's an encouraging way to make chances, I think. Um, but um, beyond that, there there were some issues for St Mirren. Um, so the St Mirren backline I felt was really quite deep. Um, Motherwell wingers, they had uh, Aaron's on the right and Hilton on the left, who. Both want to come inside, essentially, kind of, you know, an inverted 4-3-3. Um, the wingers were getting a lot of joy by dribbling at either the fullbacks or the defensive midfielders who were coming across to cross, you know, cover them. But I guess what St Mirren would say would be that because the back line was quite deep, they always sort of had bodies in front of um, Hilton and, and Aaron's, regardless of them beating the first man. So the shots that they got off were 
relatively tame or you know easily handled by Hladke, um as a result of that. But what that meant, I felt, because the back line was so deep from St Mirren at times, there was too much distance between the back line and the forwards. Um, so once Motherwell bypassed the forwards, and, and remember there was kind of two forwards out of possession, like a four four two basically out of possession. Motherwell, you know, got got ahead of the the forwards um, either through the centre back carrying or a kind of long straight pass out of defence, and and suddenly they had a. a a numerical advantage and there was a lot of work for St Mern's midfield to do because of the amount of space um, between the lines um, as an example f- for this th- it was the goal um, the op- sorry, yeah, the, the goal that O'Hara scored, yep. so essentially what happened is that um, Motherwell played a kind of long straight pass from the centre back to Hilton who had dropped from left wing into midfield and the two forwards are bypassed um, Hodson, the right back followed Hilton into midfield um, and Hilton laid it off um, and as a result there was huge space behind Hodson. Um, Hilton is massively faster than Hodson and, and kind of turned and sprinted for that space. A pass was aimed for him there um, and Hodson made a kind of despairing uh, dive to block the pass but only managed it to knock it into the path of uh, Long who was straight away through one-on-one. It was incredible how quickly, um, from the ball being at Motherwell centre-back to Long having a one-on-one. Gladke did really well to save it, but O'Hara put away the rebound. So I think that was a bad goal to concede because it was quite indicative of the sort of um, mm-hmm. formation problems there. Um, but after that, I thought that you know St Mirren did quite nicely. Um, they threatened kind of down the flanks, had some... Um, decent chances, had maybe a shout for a penalty, I don't think it was one maybe a handball, but anyway they did well um, however again, um, there was evidence of um, errors by Hodson uh, it was a kind of long ball from Motherwell and Hodson made a bad attempt at header to clear it uh, but Long's again, I guess St would say lots of bodies in the way, defence quite deep so you know Long could only shoot from quite long uh, distance and, and it was saved <laughs> And then finally, St Mirren got an equaliser and it was a, uh, quite a good finish from uh, Jakubiak, who's on loan from Watford, quite composed. I think it took a de- deflection and mm-hmm. you could say that the penalty box defending was a little bit um, passive and, and not very good. But yeah, well, well done to him for scoring. And, and you know that, that's my kind of takeaways from the game that um, I think Motherwell should have made more of the ways in which they were able to make chances, like the the chance that resulted mm-hmm. in the goal, they could really have exploited things. St Mirren did what they attempt to do with the kind of deep defending and, and you know blocking off shots and stopping good chances being created, but there's a risk with the distance between the defence and the attack. What yeah, about you? Any, yeah any I, I think a lot of that's true. I wanted to give just a just a bit of focus on St Mirren's attacking play. I know we'll speak about this in just a, a minute or so, but I felt in this game there were some real positives from Durmas, who mm. maybe at times has looked a little bit hot and cold, but um, from some of the comments from St Mirren fans the last few games, he started to look more consistent with his style of play and you know creating chances and trying to be involved. Uh, I thought him and Chikubiak looked like they could potentially be a handful, um, you know, players that could get close to Obika or Marias, whoever they choose to play up top. Um, so I think there's some positives there for St Mirren in the in the attacking phases. Um, I I know that um, you know the way that St Mirren want to play has its risks to it if you're encouraging teams to attack. Um, but I felt in this game, even 
I, I thought Motherwell just looked a little bit. I don't know how to how to describe it, but they just I didn't feel the confidence that Motherwell were actually going to score with any of the real chances that they they created. It just didn't come across that way. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting one, and it, it obviously goes to a replay, uh, finishing one each. Yeah. I uh, just wanted to give a quick shout out to both these clubs um, as the pricing for the next game has been agreed and it'll be £12 for adults, which I think is great. Um, mm. I don't think there should be replays in general. I don't think that we need another game. Um, it should be settled on extra time penalties, in my opinion. But the fact that they've made it a fairly reasonable price to attend, um, and I think this does require both teams to agree to it. So I think that's a, a real positive move for, from both clubs. And just a quick... Honourable shout-out to Motherwell as well, who are now debt-free, um, which was announced today as well. So I just thought I'd squeeze that in there. So you're saying um, they, don't, they don't need the ticket money? That, they don't need the cash. <laughs> OK. <laughs> uh, Alan Burrows is living the high life now. Um, yep. JB so, Scott is footing all the bills. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, as I mentioned, this goes to a, re- a replay, but the... The next round has been drawn, and just to quickly run through, so we've got St Johnston v Celtic on. What's your thoughts on that one? Uh, well, I, I kind of hope that St Johnston decide maybe to have a lot of their fans there, if, if there mm-hmm. are enough St Johnston fans out there. Um, mm-hmm. That would be nice, make it a bit of an atmosphere and you know give Celtic a bit of a challenge. Um, I think from the recent games, so the, the game that Celtic played away against St Johnston recently, um, where I guess they kind of well, it was one of the first games post-Christmas where they moved to the 3-5-2. Uh, some of Celtic's football in that game was phenomenal um, in the first half, at least until they lost Simunovic. Um So I, I think that's going to be a tough one for St Johnston. But it'll be interesting to see how McCart and Kerr maybe cope. That'll be nice to watch that as a challenge. Um, they were St Johnston were very, very bad at defending balls into the box um, in that league game so that'll be an interesting thing to keep an eye on see if they can prove that and also see if they can make any chances of their own um, you know so yeah, yeah interesting one but I, I I think that'll be a tough one for St Johnston Celtic should go through Okay and to put you on the spot Hearts v Rangers what's your thoughts on this? That's a great tie right uh, we've had some good league matches between those two games recently two teams recently um, kind of tough and, and I think Stendhal will feel confident. You know, I think we've spoken about the fact that one of the things that Stendhal needs from his players and from Hearts fans, I guess, is to buy in, to believe, um, to kind of commit to the style of play. And, you know, the fact that they've they've had success against Rangers um, playing under him and his style and so on, I guess, you know, helps in terms of trying to get that to happen. They're at home at Tynecastle. I think they'll feel in a cup game um, that they can, you know, give it a good shot. I have a feeling that as much as maybe you know against Hamilton, it didn't sound like things were sparkling for Rangers. I think they were almost there. I think there was quite a lot of instances maybe where just you know crosses didn't come off for Tavernier, um, mm-hmm. and you know maybe there were passing moments for Rebo and Hadji that are almost there. So I, I think that there's going to be a game that things will click and attack and sense quite well for Rangers quite soon. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if if that's the one. I, I don't, for instance, as we touched on, know if I would say that Sean Clare is the answer at right back. I, I don't know if the um, some of the the very recent recruits for Hearts, like Stanger as a defensive midfielder, I'm, I'm waiting to see how he is in a, a match where he's really tested. So it'll be a really good one to watch. I think Rangers will go through. Okay. Um, what about Hibbs v Inverness? Cali can. 
Cali Thistle cause another upset? Um, no, I'm going to say no. I, I think that they should feel positive and confident going into it. Um, but I think just with it being at Easter Road, um, that will probably be a step too far for Inverness, I think. What about you? Yeah, I I think Hibs should have enough. I think it's it's great for Inverness that they've got here, but I can't quite see it. Um, maybe if they're able to stifle Hibs and you know keep uh, people like Martin Boyle on lockdown, they might have a chance. But I think Hibs should have enough. And I guess mm. just finally, so I'm not going to ask for a prediction for this because we've got two replays to get through: um, mm. St Mirren versus Motherwell and Aberdeen versus Kilmarnock. So whoever wins that. It, you know, well done to them for, for give us some through. goals, please. Goals uh, out of the four of you, that'd be nice. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. Um, okay, so we said we would finish up tonight on looking at St. Mirren and a bit of focus and look at some of the things that you know, uh, how they've been performing under Jim Goodwin, uh, what the recruitment's been like, and how they sort of play. So, do you want to just talk me through the sort of observations that you've made and then any sort of stats that you have for St. Mirren so far? Yeah, I guess so. Um, uh, so just to start with a little bit of kind of basic detail. So St Mirren, of course, are 10th on the table at the moment. Um, the bottom four have all played 25 games. Um, St Mirren are on 22 points, so just above uh, Hamilton and Hearts on 19 and 18. I guess the standout things in terms of basics for St Mirren are that they've only scored 20 goals, which is exactly five less than each of the three other teams, Hamilton, Hearts and Ross County. Um, however, they've only conceded 33, which is the least of those four. Um, so that, that kind of shows immediately where the you know kind of differences might lie, that Goodwin mm-hmm. has got them you know drilled pretty well defensively. Um, they've got a keeper who we like so I'll come on to mm-hmm. something about him in a moment um so they've, they've been doing quite well at the back um but up front they've maybe not been you know scoring as much and the the expected goals the, the kind of slightly more advanced stats um kind of gives a little bit of detail on that um so St Mirren have actually pretty good numbers underlying numbers so their expected goals difference if you look at that instead of their goal difference puts them seventh in the table out of 12. Um, both their expected goals for and their expected goals against are are pretty firmly you know middle of the table um, uh, as a team. Um, so you know you could potentially say based on that that they don't merit being in the position that they are right now. Ross County and Hamilton have uh, you know quite quite a bit worse in terms of expected goals than than MDLs. Um, the the other kind of things that stuck out to me when I was having a wee kind of look is that. Um, St Mirren make quite a lot of um, aggressive actions on the pitch, so in, in, and it's it's increasing. So the the number of passes that they allow the opposition to have before they make a defensive action, so that's like a tackle or a foul or pressure or whatever, um, has been um, steadily decreasing um, throughout the season. Um, so they're they're allowing fewer and fewer passes before they get in your face and and kind of try and do something. Um, in terms of the the kind of expected goals and so on, so I mentioned there about how many goals they've scored. You know, twenty goals. Um, their expected goals shows that they should have scored twenty five goals, so that would put them exactly in line um, with those other three teams that I mentioned. And in in terms of uh, defensively uh, and um, you know shots against, they have conceded. Uh, what did I say? Thirty three goals. Yeah, um, thirty two of those are from open play. And from open play, they have expected goals against them of 28.83. So they've conceded a few more goals than what they 
would um, have been expected to. In, in terms of drilling in the detail, I, I was kind of interested to see what things had happened recently because I think some of that is kind of quite well known, the fact that they've maybe been underperforming in front of goal. So mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of dig into more recent detail. I had a look at things from uh, the start of November till now, and mm-hmm. the thing that kind of stuck out to me there was at the back, there have been some problems. Um, so in, in terms of expected goals since the start of November till now, um, defensively um, for St Mirren, they they have conceded a lot more goals than the expected goals would suggest. They should have um, about nine goals more just in that kind of two and a half months, um, given there was a winter break, than, than what they should have. I had a look at some of those goals, um, and they've raised a few questions for me around Vatcliffe Pladke, the goalkeeper. Um, so you and I both really like him. I've, you know, I've said that for a long mm-hmm. time. I think he's a really good shot stopper. But, um, yeah, there's there's quite a few goals. Some most concerning ones are, are ones from distance. Um, as an example, there was a one, um, I guess, only in the most recent game against uh, Hamilton for Templeton, who's recently joined them, um, which was quite, from quite far out, and, and I think Cladkey mm-hmm. could have done better with. But there were two or three other ones from outside the box that as well I think he should have done better on. And there was also some very close-in ones where maybe the reactions um, weren't quite what I would have thought from him and, and not what I'd want to see. might just be that's just a blip, you know, maybe things, you know, ca- catching up and stuff. Um, but, yeah, maybe he hasn't been quite the standout recently than we might all have the picture of him having been given his performances earlier in his St. Mirren career. Do, um, do you think, just quickly on that, on yeah, the Vladka yeah. one, um, do you think that potentially his contract situation will be playing a part in this? And this is obviously a little bit of speculation, but I would imagine his agent is telling him he's got X amount of clubs interested in him across all over Europe, again, hypothetically. You know, that must be a little bit unsettling in terms of having to think about, am I going to be in this country in three months' time? Um where am I going to be playing my football? And obviously this is his decision, as I think it's been clear that some men have tried to keep him. But do you think that's potentially having like a mental effect? Yeah, maybe. I think it's very, very difficult to understand what goes on these things. I mean, you could quite easily say that should make somebody perform better or be more focused if you think there's an opportunity to get a really good contract next and stuff. I don't know. It's hard to tell. In terms of you know being unsettled about being out of the country and stuff, I don't know. Um, how do we look at his Instagram? He clearly lives quite near me, um, near the Botanics in Glasgow. Um, so, yeah, I can understand him not wanting to move away from there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I really like him. Um, he's got, I think I've mentioned before, he's got training videos on YouTube and stuff you can go and have a watch of. Seems like a good guy, um, good goalkeeper. Um, I, I, I think just, yeah... Go and have a watch of some of the, the goals that he's conceded since November. That would be my recommendation. See what you think. Um, it's definitely you know not performing to the level we would hope, but I'm not going to attempt any sort of amateur psychology here. I, I don't know what's going on. Might, might just be Boo. one of these things. That's nope. what I was looking for. I want, I want that sort of hot take from you. Um, I should know better by now. Um, okay, so talk to me a little bit. So you were talking about the some of the attacking play as well. So I was looking at some of the, the advanced numbers and... Um, you know, the, the expected goals for some of the St Mirren players is when when I filtered it to just the bottom half teams, uh, St Mirren tend to actually dominate in the 
an XG. Um, so Obika, um, Andrew, Durmas, Moraes all feel field in the top 10 for overall expected goals in the, uh, the bottom half teams. Um, so how what do, you, do you think that's maybe un, unlucky or do you think that um, because all of these players are under their XG right now, so do you think that there's there's maybe something more to that or is it, you know, it will click if you just keep doing the repeatable things because again, they do sort of dominate the the XG in the, in, in the bottom half. Um, that's an interesting question. Um, I would say that it differs depending on the individual. So I think Durmas early on in the season had a few instances where he was quite wasteful. Um, there was maybe, in my view, some bad shots. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some some chances he missed where I think he should have better. Maybe just a confidence thing. Maybe just you know trying to. I mean, I know it's a bit of a cliche to say somebody's trying too hard, but certainly when you come in at a club, you know, maybe you're presented with a chance. It, it was that kind of shots from from memory. Um, I think beyond that, um, I think one of the risks you can see sometimes when looking at expected goals is that um, just having a lot of shots can sometimes you know cause you to have a fair sure. bit of XG. Um, I yeah, think for some of yeah, some of Durmaces are quite easily block shots from outside the box. Um, so I think if you look at the post shot XG, you know, the ones that have actually got on target, um, that might show a little bit of a different story about him. I think sometimes he hasn't made enough separation from players that have been facing him up to get a good shot off. That that would be my kind of initial take. Um, things are improving. As I said, you know, the shot against Motherwell at the start of the game um, at the weekend was really, really nice. He merited a goal for that, in my view. Um, with the beaker, um, Obika's quite interesting. If if you look at a, a shot map for him, um, he's got quite a, um, a there's a stereo there's a certain type of Obika shot. Um, so he <laughs> essentially gets ones very very close into goal. Um, they're essentially you know headers or kind of bundling attempts. Once you know maybe Samarin have got a ball in from a cross or a throw in or whatever, or you know maybe the rebound from a set, set piece. So you know if you have a look, is a huge cluster of um, chances right inside the six-yard box or right on the edge of the six-yard box, right in the middle. Um, and I think, you know, some of them are, are reasonable chances. Um, they've all got quite high XG due to being very close in. Um, and he scored a bunch of them, but his other chances are not good. Um, so out with those, he doesn't manage to get that many good chances, so he's, he's not necessarily the sort of guy that's going to get onto something in open play, um, or you know, like a, a kind of good chance out of nothing, um, or you know, onto, you know, it's a very specific type of goal threat that he has, is what I would say, and there are high XG chances, um, but he's limited in terms of creating other types of things. Um, beyond that, I think some of the other issues for me for St Mirren um, are, there, there's some other wastefulness in the team, um, so Andreu, for for instance, um, has a tendency to shoot from not great areas, um, uh-huh. can be quite profligate, and um, also McGinnis, um, obviously unfortunately out with a, a long term injury, but he also I can't remember the exact detail right now, but it's something like I think he has two goals total, but he's taken like thirty five shots or something like that, which is you know obviously Stevie way more. Yeah, it's something along those lines. Um, so. Those are the kind of issues for me that when you dig into the detail, yeah, there's been a little bit of a lack of luck in front of goal, but there's also been some poor decisions in terms of shooting, and they have some people like Obika who 
probably can only score from very, very specific types of chances. That, that's cool. my take. Um, we might see if... Um, so they've got Sefadin Shabby um, now in, uh, on loan until the end of the season. And there's possibly uh, a chance that he'll bring them a different type of goal. Um, I spoke mm-hmm. to the guys at the other Bundesliga, who are an Austrian football podcast and website. Um, Chabi is kind of, I guess, most feted for his performances in the second division in Austria, where he got a really good amount of goals. So I think in the 17-18 season, the team he was playing for, SV Reed, were pushing for promotion, and he got 22 goals leading the line for them, which is obviously really good. Um, the guys at the other Bundesliga told me that that division's not really a very good standard, and he kind of flagged a little bit in the spring, and SV Reed's promotion attempt failed, kind of dropped off. I don't really know what um, the, the the level there. I'm not sure what that's comparable to in terms of Scotland, um, but it does look like Chabby has some attributes that he can lead the well the line well. That he, you know he knows where goal is. Could well be a bit of a natural goal scorer. Um, I, I was a wee bit concerned because I hadn't seen him even on the bench for St Mirren yet. But it seems from um, what Jim Goodwin is saying that he's just adjusting. He needs a wee bit of a kind of pre-season worker. Essentially, he's been on loan in Turkey. Uh, sorry, he's been in Turkey uh, where he plays now, but has fallen out of favour and, and is on loan. So I, I think you know that could be interesting if they get him in the side. What, what about you? Any thoughts? Yeah. yeah so I, I guess some of that. You know your your detail there on Chabi is really interesting. I noticed that you know he's even his record for Gazantaspor didn't look terrible. Mm. Um, it looked like maybe one in three. I know there's obviously more to it than, than that, but um, from the sort of limited time I had to look at him, I think there's definitely some positives there for St. Mirren. The other thing that I, my sort of overall takeaway on the on the squad, um, they have a lot of strikers, so you would imagine that at some point someone is going to go on a run. Um, yeah. Uh, you know that these things just sort of happens with forwards where you know the stars align and the fact that they've got so many from Danny Mullen, eh, sorry, Danny Mullen, Junior Marais, Cody Cook, so Sefadine Chabi, um, Jakubiak can play up front, uh, you've got Obika, so that's you know five or six forwards that are all going to be pushing for that that sort of one starting spot. It's a bit um, of a weird makeup of squad, I think. Uh, I was looking yep. at that and you're right, it's really top heavy, but also in defence, there's I mean, I know they've Obviously, they've lost McGinn uh, to Hibs and then Broadfoot's gone back to Kilmarnock and stuff. But uh, I kind of worry for clubs about lack of consistency in selection and defence. I, I, mm-hmm. I think that I can help, particularly in a sort of relegation battle. Um, I thought Hodgson was not good in, in the last game I saw. Um, Fladke, obviously, really great. But it would be interesting to me to see, you know, can they, as much as you're saying, get the right striker in and the stars might align. Can they make sure they've got a consistent setup in defence as well? Um, yeah. And you know how can they make the setup that they clearly want to play with maybe fitting in you know a couple of these forward players and also sort of you know their their wingers essentially in Dermis and Jakubiak, but meaning that they can maybe be a little bit more compact um, and give the midfielders a chance because the game's pretty stretched for them. It must be a lot of work and. Foley's not young, um, so yep. you know, and also on that point about Foley not being young, there's quite an age differential in this team. Mm-hmm. There's quite a lot of very young players. Like the two guys they brought in from Ireland, the, the centre back from Norwich, um, and then there's you know some some older people like Foley and so on. Is not a lot of people in kind of peak age in the kind mm-hmm. of defensive um, and midfield areas, which I, I don't know. Um, 
is going to make it tough, I guess, you know, but it's, it's understandable, you know, that's the reality of things for um, a club maybe at the, the bottom-ish end of the Premiership. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is, and they've got an interesting run of games next, so they've got Livingston away this Wednesday, and then they've got Motherwell away in the league on Saturday, and then in the Scottish Cup replay, and then they've got Hearts at home and St Johnson at home. They really need to pick up wins in that that mm-hmm. area. You know, these are all teams that are relatively round, not not but you know they're they're round not about, yeah. rivals, but they're round about them. So it's pretty facile to say it, but um, yeah, they they need to get some points on the board desperately. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I guess just one quick thing I wanted to mention, you know, when you were covering the squad as well, obviously they've received some bad news with injuries to McGuinness and Flynn. Um, So I worry about the the depth in central midfield. You know, it's quite a lot to ask uh, Cameron McPherson to, Mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of carry quite a lot of responsibility in terms of transition and things like this, which I think is really important, um, the transition periods for for St Mirren when they, they go from defending a low block block as they tend to do uh, into getting the ball forward so I think it'll be quite a lot to ask of him um, and it'll be interesting to see how he handles with that um, pressure I actually wouldn't be surprised if St Mirren had a look in the free agent market if they can maybe bring someone else in um, mm. just considering that you know the injury to both those players seems seems to let them a little bit lightweight in the in the central areas um, Hodgson, that's fair. get, Hodgson, get um, my boy Ethan Erhorn back and stick him in midfield as well. <laughs> well yeah, that's definitely got to be one of the strangest transfers of the, the January window, but that's for a mm. different pod. Um, yeah, and I, I guess that there's there's just a couple of things. Uh, obviously, they're going to lose Hladke, um, so it seems anyway. They've got a couple of people like Gary McKenzie, who you maybe wouldn't necessarily want back. Um, Foley's as good as he has done for them. He's older as well, so... And then they've got you know five or six players on loan, so it could be quite a difficult summer for for Jim Goodwin in terms of what they do. But to wrap us up, Owen, do you think uh, St Mirren will stay up? Yep, I think they'll finish um, in tenth. Tenth, okay. I think they'll well, be actually safe. ninth. No, I'm going to say ninth, and they'll okay. be safe. Yep, yep. Okay, I I think they'll be safe too. I think they'll they've got enough about them, and again, I think the you know the the fact that they've got so many options up front should help them, especially when you compare that to maybe someone like Hamilton who struggled to score goals. Um, so, yeah. Um, okay, so we're saying St Mirren are safe. Jim Goodwin is good. And uh, that leaves us for tonight. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, then please like, share, subscribe, tell a friend, um, as it really helps us grow the podcast. And only end to say to the listeners before we sign off, uh, just to echo that, yeah, please do um, follow Pure Football and subscribe, tell a friend to subscribe and thank you very much for listening. As I mentioned briefly, it's a year um, almost to the day since the pilot episode of Pure Football. So thanks to NMD who's listened since then and is still with us and welcome to any new listeners. Thanks.